Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 6, Episode 8, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Let's get this show on the road. I do not like this episode at all. When an episode that involves murdering, technically murdering dogs, and that is not the biggest problem in the episode, you have really lost me. You know, I think this is one of those episodes, and it's it's kind of awful because whenever we encounter an episode so far, like even the ones that I really don't like, we talk about them and then we're like, oh yeah, there's all of these like little juicy little nuggets to kind of like pick at and talk about and... I feel like in this one, there's a few, but it's just, I like, I'm not looking forward to it. And this sucks because I always try when, and you, same for you, Drew, I know that, but like when we sit down to record our podcast, like we always kind of want to show up as like our best selves, right? We're like, okay, let's have fun. Let's talk about this. Let's like make some meaning. But this one is just like, you know, like, I feel like I'm working with a text that just does not care to be discovered (laughs) studied and I'm just like all right I feel like there's some stuff to talk about with Dean but it's like so easily shrugged off and like redundant almost to what we already know about him and then I think the biggest evolution of this episode is Sam and it's completely divorced from the episode's plot let's get us started with a recap and see where we land count me down three two one go the brothers think they're on the case of another alpha because of course they're in Crowley's pocket now and have to do what he says they're going to capture an alpha because that's what they have to do they think they found a werewolf alpha turns out it's not it's something else we'll get to that it ends up not like i said not being a werewolf it's the dog living in this family's house which is so many kinds of creepy and then it turns out it's a whole like crew of them and they go after them and there's a lot of gun violence which is more than usual and they stop the bad guys and save the day even though it's kind of unsatisfying and we don't really learn much but Soulless Sam basically comes out and goes like, yeah, I'm just going to not be Sam. Time. Yeah, Drew, that's that's basically what the episode is about. I think this is one of the shortest long games that we've had in a very, very long time. If you, <laughs> Well, I mean, the first thing that I have is that this is the second Crowley episode that we have in a row. And like this, I mean, at least there's that, right? So I'll take that. I love my Crowley, especially now that he's kind of like, I mean, like these two episodes, he's kind of back, you know, like in his prime, as opposed to last episode where he was kind of upset and bummed out with his whole like, you know, son coming back and talking shit about him. At least the vibe I got last episode, let alone this episode, we're probably going to see maybe not every episode, but he'll be a little bit more present for the next little while, which I'm excited about. I like Crowley. He's fun. He's good. It's a really good it's a really good sign. So, you know, trying to find some positives in uh, in this episode. But that that's pretty much it, because uh, from there on, we have like, I think, one, two, three, four points, and most of them are negative. This is the first and only episode of Supernatural with a skinwalker. And as a side note, after a very brief Google search, I saw that the Navajo people don't want skinwalkers to be discussed by outsiders. So we're basically just not going to discuss them past this point, And we're going to be referring to Lucky as Lucky. I'll be frank. I read this point earlier today, and I was like, oh, is that going to affect our discussion? It really isn't. (laughs) 
This is also not the last time that the show is hinting at some sort of like dog-human relationship. I'm counting three of them in total. Not just two, like three. So anyway. Like, is one of them Sam's encounter with the werewolf or is that not Oh count? my god, I didn't even count that! Now there's four? <laughs> you know, this is where I'm very glad that I don't have a psychoanalysis background because I need... <laughs> I Like... The urge to psychoanalyze this show with its relationship to dogs would just... Anyway, I will leave that for other other people to do. Here's a positive. We are sort of settling into, like, the new dynamic between, like, Dean and Sola Sam. <laughs> the irony of how much I've disliked Sam this season. And this is, I think, my favorite part of this episode with Sam. So you remember when I said that, like, Sola Sam really opens a lot of narrative possibilities? We're starting to see that. And Sam and Dean do come to an understanding that Sola Sam is going to like stop pretending that he cares and just be honest and upfront with Dean. So that's another positive. Which I think, again, like we're going to get to Sola Sam. I think he is like the best topic of this episode. This, this to me, like that literal, like, what was it? Like two minutes of the episode of like that ending was like, it could have just been that. That could have been like a YouTube short and it would have solved this episode. <laughs> this episode could have been a TikTok. <laughs> This meeting could have been an email, but for Supernatural, <laughs> it's, this episode could have been a TikTok. And I can't agree with you more. Our theme this week is individuality, which is basically the quality of what distinguishes one individual from another. It comes from Latin individualis, which originally meant like indivisible. So like cannot be divided. I did find another definition for individuality that is basically said that it was a separate existence, which I thought was really, really interesting too. And I think that both of these definitions can sort of be useful for us uh, to discuss the, the brothers in this episode. I found the theme much easier to like link to one of them, but it, it does really work. And I think there is a lot of, especially given that we're almost getting a new dynamic between Sola, Sam and Dean, it almost forces us to like reevaluate them as characters. So their individuality is more important than ever in this moment. Well, speaking of Sam, I think we should start with him today because I think that he offers us like the best lens uh, through which we can think about individuality because like one of the central questions in this episode for Sam is, well, for Sam and for us really, is like, is Sola Sam really Sam? Sam does come to a conclusion. And at the end of the episode, he says like, I'm not your brother. I'm not Sam. So even soulless Sam sees himself as a different entity from Sam. This is starting to hint at something I was kind of worried about, but also expecting, and I'm kind of okay with it now. So while he claims he thinks he should go back to being Sam, so ultimately he decides he is not Sam, but he thinks it'd be better to go back to being Sam. I think there's a part of him that's going to grow worried about what it means to become Sam and what happens to soulless Sam. Interesting. Like, I, I think we're going to start uncovering, like, as we get closer to the, like, oh, we're going to get your soul back, soulless Sam, and you'll get to be Sam again. Soulless Sam is going to start thinking about, like, well, what happens to me then? Well, so that's really interesting because, like, that kind of brings back the conversation that you brought up yesterday about, like, the pieces of the puzzle of Sam, right? And so I think that that will then, like, what happens to Soulless Sam is really going to depend on how 
eventually, if Sam gets his soul back, which I mean, you know, like <laughs> he's not going to be soulless for another like what nine seasons now. I suspect it'll be this season he gets it back, but again, maybe they go an extra season. Maybe they go an extra two seasons. I don't know. Who knows? If and when he does get it back, uh, I think that the way that he integrates those parts of himself are going to be really, really important. I Again, I think this is going to depend on how the show builds this lore a little bit. What happens to Soul of Sam when Soul returns? Does he become a part of the greater whole that is Sam? Or is he a separate entity altogether that ceases to exist? So that's really funny. Like to me, I that was never really a question that I had because the way that I visualized it, like, and again, like we're talking about something that's very supernatural. So it's hard to kind of like think through these things, right? Um, so the way that I envis- envisioned it was that idea of the soul as as like, as spirit, right? So like the soul would be pulled from hell and then somehow like re-enter his body and he would get the capacity to feel again. And so like soulless Sam, quote unquote, wouldn't die or anything. He would just like be a part of Sam because like he would be the part of Sam that he was before because that's always how I saw it. Because what we're seeing, what we're calling soulless Sam, I think is basically Sam without the capacity to feel empathy. Upon reintegration of the soul, he would continue to be soulless Sam, but now with the capacity to feel again and return to being true Sam. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Sam Sam. Sam Sam. <laughs> yes, Sam Soul Sam. Sam. <laughs> soulful. Soulful Sam. Soulful Sam. I actually call him Soulful Sam in my notes somewhere. <laughs> That's sure. amazing. I love it. Because like this just, so this is where I really went off the rails a bit here and I'm going to pull you off the track with me for a minute, is I have always enjoyed this narrative in TV shows and movies. The idea of, I guess, cloning in a lot of sci-fi shows is how they do it most. And the two prime examples I can think of are actually in the show Adventure Time and actually more recently in WandaVision, um, which you still haven't watched. So I will not go that route to not spoil anything. Uh, although you might go to, uh, it's really weird. But the idea essentially of, so let's just say, Mary, I have cloned you. There is a second Mary who has, to quote Sam, your melon and your memories. Is it really you? That's basically what I tried to answer when I was taking the notes like for this episode, right? I was trying to think through like whether or not I see Sola Sam as Sam. And that's kind of that's kind of the point of the whole episode to kind of get viewers to think about this, I think. I think your theory already like contradicts this theory, but I'm still very torn on which way the show is going to go. I'll be honest. My money is the reintegrating the soul thing with your side, your thoughts here a little more. I could still see a soulless Sam rebellious, like, I don't want to go type moment. But like, again, like if there is, again, two Marys with the same memories, the same brain, the same upbringing, the same everything. Are you are the two of them just going to live the exact same parallel life or is one going to differ in some way? In fact, just being the other one or doubting that you're the original. How much does that affect you to spiral in different ways? All of this, I think, is going on in Sola Sam's head as much as he's purely logic and not really a being a feeling. There is still the logic of I exist. If you reintroduce the soul that changes me back to who I was before, I no longer exist. Is that a good or a bad thing? Right now, he says it's a good thing. But will he stay that way? I find it truly fascinating that you really see them as like or that you talk about Sola Sam as a completely separate thing from Sam, because to me, it's just like, I really think of Sola Sam as Sam, 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 
just without, like I said, without the capacity to feel. And so I think that what might be more pressing, so if, if, if I'm thinking about like, if somebody were to remove my capacity to feel and my capacity to feel, to see right and wrong and to care about others, I think that like I would remember the suffering also that comes with all of those things, right? And so maybe that would be something that like, would make him not want to get his soul back. But I don't know that I ever saw it as him feeling like he's going to disappear or no longer exist. I just kind of saw him as not wanting to have these painful emotions. Soulless Sam does go away. Whether he becomes a part of the greater Sam or really does feel like it's a betrayal to himself to let himself go. Like I, I want to, I want to see him explore that in the show. And I think it's such a fun conversation topic. It's just one of those, like, there's no right or wrong answer. It's like the ship of Theseus. It's just like a great thought experiment. And I think I'm like really excited to see how the show takes this forward. Uh, if we can move on to Dean, I think that in this episode, he's basically seeing like a lot of similarities between him and Lucky. I think it's pretty clear that Ben and Lisa are on his mind. You know, he's looking at his phone at one point and he's just like itching to call Lisa. Uh, there's another moment a little bit later where him and Sam are arguing about whether or not Lucky is going to go through or whether or not he's going to double cross them. And Dean is like so clear that he thinks that he's going to go through with it because of his love for Mandy and Aiden that he considers family. And I think that it makes sense that Dean would see himself in Lucky because I think we've talked about this before, or at least we've talked around it for long enough. So I'm I'm just going to come out and say it, but like, I think that Dean sees himself as a monster. Not necessarily a monster in the way that Supernatural talks about monsters, but more a monster in the sense that, like, he doesn't fit into regular life. A monster a little bit in the sense of, like, Taylor Swift's anti-hero, you know, where she talks about, like, her life and the demands of her job being so big and so enormous that she just can't fit in anywhere. And I sort of feel like that's how Dean feels about his job, which is obviously hunting, but all the, the, the baggage that comes with that. Like, and so to see like another monster infiltrate this family and like putting them at risk, not only of himself, but of the other people from this world, like it must be bringing up some feelings uh, for Dean. Yeah, I mean, the parallels this week between Dean and Lucky are abundant. And while Dean can't help but see himself, he misses uh, the major point, uh, which is the part of him that is very much not Lucky. You know, he did not sneak into Ben and Lisa's life. He did not live among them secretly or even lie about who he was. He was actually very truthful with her pretty much the whole time. He is so focused on his flaws, which is a major Deanism like makes him connect to Lucky in a lot of ways in his own mind. Weird thing is here that had Dean maybe had a brother with, I don't know, a soul, they might have pointed out these um, lack of connections and made everything a little easier. And I think, again, this is like a really amazing point. And it's the um, two of them sitting on the roof with the sniper rifle where I love how Sam was just playing with the bullets like a bored child. <laughs> Like, there's something about that of, like, not understanding the stress of the situation that he's bored. Yeah, we're going to see so much. I love that. I love that. Like, I love that weirdness in Soulless Sam already. They're putting it here like, oh, again, so good. But again, like, it's a very blunt conversation between the two of them, between the, no, uh, Lucky would never double cross us. He loves them too much because that's how he feels about, you know, 
Lisa and Ben and has feelings and understands that feelings trump what's right and what's wrong. And Sam is cold and calculated and goes, no, the more logical choice would be this. And that's what I would do if I were being logical. Like it's, it's again, a very blunt, but surprisingly well done interaction. You know, I find it really funny because last episode we were talking about like double crossing and choosing teams and choosing sides. And here Sam is just like so open with with like the way that he thinks through these things. And I feel like that would have been really useful for us like last week, you know, when we were talking about that. So we're getting that answer just a little bit late, unfortunately. But I, I, I agree with you. I think it was like such great um, contrast between the two of them. Just to quickly respond to the fact that, you know, Dean is not like lucky, like I completely agree with you. You know, I, I just find it really interesting how much Dean projects of himself onto monsters who try to rehabilitate and to infiltrate society, but who are still monsters. And I think that he truly sees himself in that, but I don't, I don't think that's accurate. I think, um, you know, I think that's, uh, that's a reaction that stems from, from trauma. And I think that that's also what sets them apart from Lucky, you know, like what makes them, like what individualizes them, what differentiates them. It's the fact that he is not a monster. He might see himself as one, but he is not. There's an odd amount of irony in the episode itself in the way they try to make Lucky feel like a sympathetic character when like realistically, like, yes, he had one semi-decent moment in trying to like protect her at the end, but like... Overall, he is a monster. Like, I hate to say it. Like, I hate to label someone a monster. But, like, murdered her husband, murdered her brother-in-law, murdered, like, the landlord. (laughs) Again, it's not as bad as the other two, but it's still a murder for, like, love's sake. And, like, hiding in her home and, like, just being so creepy. Like, the entire thing is so messed up. And to try to, like, pass it off, like... Honestly, I swear to God, when Lucky came to ring the doorbell and, like, say goodbye, I was like, if she even for a second thinks about forgiving him, I'm I'm turning the show off. I will need a week to mentally recuperate. So, like, thank you for not trying to do that. Like, giving the woman some level of agency. God bless. I think the only reason, to come back to Dean for a second, that we give Lucky even the slightest bit of, like, humanity is the fact that we can also see some Dean in him in the sense that like he just wants to be loved and he's misunderstood, but like we're seeing it from the wrong side. Like it's one thing to be misunderstood and seek help. It's another thing to be misunderstood and to force yourself into someone's life against their will. Again, like if we're thinking about fiction as a way to like safely have empathy, then I guess you could do that. I just, it's, I'm not sure that I really want to. Like, I'm not sure that I like this episode enough to to do that exercise, you know? like This episode is a 1 out of 10, and that 1 only comes 0.5 from Soul of Sam being so good <laughs> and doggos. So this episode was written by Adam Glass, directed by Phil Scritchia, and it originally aired on November 12th, 2010. You know what? I think we've made our feelings very clear about this episode. Let's go visit the Hunter's Journal instead. I grew up with pets. I had dogs all my life. More recently, cats in the places I find myself stuck in a bit longer than the average motel stay. Uh, heck, as a child, I remember even having some lizards and frogs. I love animals. They're great listeners. And the ones who are not restricted by living in a terrarium or a cage always seem to know how to comfort you. 
coming home after a date and just needing to tell someone about how great it went. You know, they're there to listen to you and wag their tails. Terrible night where you just couldn't do anything right. You're going to have a fuzzy ball purring in your lap pretty soon. And maybe some ice cream. All this to preface that I'm still not sure how to take care of a hellhound. I mean, it's not leaving me alone. Even when I go a few weeks without hearing it, because you really can't see the things, I still sometimes find massive chunks of tree covered in drool left by my hotel room or my car. Sometimes I know it's around. It's kind of massive despite being invisible, so it's pretty hard to miss it. You know, as it, especially as it's bolting along the side of the highway, knocking over signs and posts and trees. Yeah. For now, I leave a bowl of dog food near the car when I can and wave towards it if I know it's there. After all, the thing has saved me in a few times as it shows up a surprise backup when I least expect it. So I'll stick to caring for my stray heck pupper. Maybe having a partner again isn't as bad as I remember it being. If you don't mind all the slobber, that is. It's dog-centric. Do you have any thoughts to share with us this week? I can only imagine you do. I don't think I'm going to repeat the fact that I didn't like the episode. I think it's been made very clear. I think in total, like, I've watched it maybe, maybe three times, like, counting this rewatch, uh, which, like, compared to the other episodes that, like, I've rewatched countless times. Like, it's it's nothing. Like, three times is, is absolutely nothing. And, like, so far, also, there's been episodes that I didn't like and ended up liking after we talked about them, which, you know, I always enjoy because it just, it allows me to see them, like, in a different light, and that's always nice. Uh, but this is really not one of those. I hate it just as much, if not more, than before. And like, for me, there's a few reasons, uh, personally. I think that the biggest one overall for, for me, again, is the scene where Lucky in dog form uh, is watching Mandy undress and shower, and he's basically like lusting over her. And like, I, I just don't like it. Like, it makes me super uncomfortable, which for sure is the, probably the goal of the scene. Nobody's sitting there. Well, I mean, you know, um, but I'm assuming that not many people are sitting there being like, oh, this is really cool, really hot. Um, but that was the goal of the scene. But I just don't like it. <laughs> it just feels like such a big violation of like her trust, her privacy, her consent, like her personhood. Yeah. The second thing for me is the extended gunfight. Um, I have gun trauma, as probably everybody who's listening knows at this point, and extended gunfights in TV and film don't always sit well with me, and this is definitely one of those. I think that it's also because there's a child present, and I so, so vividly can imagine like Mandy's panic at trying to keep her son safe from the bullets is another layer that makes it difficult for me to watch the episode. And the third thing is the absolutely random and completely unnecessary demon rape joke. Like... What the fuck? Uh, actually, hold on. There's a last one. There's a last issue that I have. <laughs> I have a fourth one. Like what I mentioned at the top of the episode, like the fact that like skinwalkers come from Navajo culture and uh, Navajo people have repeatedly asked non-Navajo creators to stop depicting uh, these creatures in their stories. So again, like a violation of consent, right? Right there. So it just feels like there's a lot of stuff in this episode that just is very dubious in terms of, of consent. So between all of those things, like the episode just doesn't work for me. It's miss after miss after miss. 
Do you remember how much I hated bugs when we started watching it? And then how much I now like sort of love it? You know, I was kind of hoping for that for this episode. And that's always what I tell myself whenever we encounter an episode I don't like. I'm like, oh, maybe it'll be like bugs. And now I can't shut up about it. But no, this this wasn't the case. The worst thing is like, you know, I think back to Bugs also as being an episode that we both didn't particularly enjoy, although it was an amazing recording, an amazing interview episode. And if you haven't listened, go back to it for sure. And we do go back to it often because it still had some key moments that felt so important. My biggest fear is that Soulless Sam's like big revelation this week is going to be something we're going to have to go back and reference. So I'm just I'm really hoping we can reference just the time that Soulless Sam realized he's no longer Sam. And just not have to specify where it happened. I like that. This week, we have a message from José. Before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we discuss today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Drew and I are going to be answering the question, what do you think the boys were about to eat on their little end-of-episode picnic? For our Roadhouse supporters in our Impala Talk. Stay to the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. Hi, this is Josie. I just listened to your episode on Swap Meat, and I wanted to talk about Sam, anger, and violence. I stand on my position that early season Sam is angry a lot. Not wrathful, but still angry. His anger comes up as impatience. And he sometimes lashes out verbally but I think he doesn't allow himself to be physically violent because when we saw him violent, he wasn't usually throwing punches. No, when Sam is violent, he kills demon with his mind or he picks up a gun. And it's about the only time his aim is really accurate. Have you noticed? Anyway, violent Sam is deadly. So Sam tries to keep himself under control, his anger under control. In Swap Meet, he lets his resentment, his anger show with everybody. He is not as caring or as empathetic as usual. In Gary's body, he is almost mean. And I think it's because he doesn't need to keep his temper under control because this body wasn't affected by demon blood. So he's not afraid that if he lash out, he's going to go dark side. So that's that was my thought about it. I'm curious to know yours. Jose, thank you so much for this lovely voicemail. So first off, I have to say that like I know that I've been going back and forth like because I was like, I know that I have not been consistent in the way that I look at Sam and his, particularly about his anger. And I think that that also has to do with how I'm feeling at the time <laughs> of the recordings. I think right now, at the very least, I, I agree with you. I think that it, it is completely normal and natural for, for Sam to feel anger about the way he was raised, his early experiences, the way he was manipulated, you know, and, and all that's in addition to all of the cosmic demon like issues that he's had to deal with and I because I always want to draw a line between anger and violence because they're not always related but I agree that sometimes especially because of the way that the brothers were raised like the way that they express their anger is through violence and I think that we see it 
maybe a little more with Dean, because I think Sam, having had to navigate institutions, and I'm thinking specifically about university Stanford, like Stanford University, he's had to learn to channel his anger so that it doesn't come out as violence, right? And I think that you also have a really interesting point about him knowing that his body can cause so much damage. First of all, because the sheer size of it, like, let's be very clear, like he is six foot four, he could seriously hurt anybody that he would uh, show violence uh, toward. But also, again, because of the cosmic stuff, the demon blood, etc. And you know, this is really interesting what you're bringing up, because it also touches upon some stuff that we've talked about in this episode. (laughs) I wonder if it's just like every voicemail fits into every episode. We're just like not noticing it. But again, Jose, like the magic of the timing in this, because I, in listening to your voicemail, was wondering that, as you pointed out, like it's something I've noticed, too, is that like when Sam does get violent and kind of does turn to like weapons, he does get like more accurate and better when he's angry. And I wonder how much of that is him shutting off his emotions and being very soulless even and just his precision and his need to get something done. Have we seen Soulless Sam hidden in Sam this entire time a little bit, which is very interesting in my books. Well, see, there you go. Which then brings back exactly. to your point. Exactly. Yes, I, I know. know. I know, Drew. I'm so sorry, but Jose agrees with me. <laughs> I, think, I think deep down, I also think that more now, too. Like, I think I already kind of came to that conclusion, even in my own ramblings. Uh, I just like the thought experiment side of it more. Because I think we I think we see it very specifically in the end of the first trickster episode. Or second trickster episode, sorry. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The one the mystery spot. Yeah, thank you. Uh but to Jose's point with uh this voicemail, it's this I agree. I think there was a phase in the like season three, four range where I really saw Sam as violent. And I think it's because I was mislabeling his anger as violence. And the fact that when he is angry, one of his outlets is action, which tends to be in the world of hunted demons, kind of violent. And I think it's more of an outlet of just solving a case or getting something done or like getting a win. Because we've also seen times where he gets emotionally charged in other ways and finds other outlets, such as the really fun drunk episode. Sam. Drunk Sam. Drunk Sam. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think like the channeling of it is is going to be very important. Eventually, we're going to see. I mean, this is not really a spoiler, but eventually, we're going to see that Sam runs in order to channel that energy. You know, I, I think that this is something that um, he has been dealing with and will be dealing with uh, for a while. Because I mean, childhood trauma doesn't really go away. You know, like you can learn to manage it, and one of those things is is, is physical exercise, moving your body. Apparently, it helps, annoyingly so. But anyways, this was a fantastic voicemail, and I really love how it connected to this episode, even if it was completely unintentional. It's a great combo. Again, you've given me a lot to think about in regards to Sam and his different... I'm almost picturing Sam like with an internal dial of like 0 to 100% having soul. And like, I'm really angry. I'm going to put that to a 30% and ooh, I'll get you. So, Drew, um, what have you reflected on in this episode? I find it hard to reflect on episodes that I don't connect with or really like. And this one had a lot of things that like turned me off of it real easily. So I'm taking an incredibly wide berth around the subject matter of this episode to get to my reflection. Drew is like, I don't like the question you asked, so I'm going to answer my own question. Thank you. But yes, I'm pulling that politician move. But I am going to reflect on something. and I won't draw the parallel to let you do that yourself. And I really love doing things for others. 
like whether it's a simple favor or a small gift, I love buying a small gift for somebody. When I find something like stupid and small that I know will make someone's day better, like I will go to no ends to get that dumb little trinket for them and get sent it to them because it makes me so happy. It just brings me so much joy to help someone I care about. So my call to action is just to find some small things I can do to bring smiles to the people in my life. You know, it just, it, it makes me so happy and it's something that can help boost my mood as well. As much as I love buying things for myself, a little bit of a retail therapy kind of person I've learned. You know what, if I can put a little bit of that money or time towards something for somebody else, it feels just as good, if not better. That's great. I love that. I'm afraid to ask what you reflected on this week. <laughs> Honestly, it made me think about like, the consequences to my choices and my actions, because Lucky is dealing with a lot of the finding out period of the fucking around and finding out. So I think for me more specifically, it's to be realistic about how I look at those consequences. Like sometimes I'm going to do something and when I'm faced with the results, I'm like, well, what was I expecting? Like really? And, and to give a concrete example, like I had applied to do a poster presentation at my old faculty where I worked for five years and I did my master's there. Things didn't really end great uh, with them. I'm not going to go into details about that, but I knew that at the very least, I didn't want to present my own PhD project there. Uh, but I did want to showcase like another project that I was working on with my supervisor and that he got like a really big grant to do. So I wanted to kind of like show off his work to the faculty essentially. And it didn't go super well for a lot of reasons. And I looked back and I was like, well, what exactly was I expecting? So I feel called to kind of like think things through with a little bit more realism from now on and not to just like, oh, it'll be fine. Yeah, I can probably take that advice. I think I live with the it'll be fine way too often. <laughs> Same. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Mehdi Vigouhou and myself, Drew Shulman. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, Katira L. and Jeremiah Thomas. This week, we'd like to thank Jose for her message. You can find the links to all our social media and our merch store at carryingwayward.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to us. If you like Carrying Wayward and you'd like to support us in our project to go through all 15 seasons of Supernatural, you can support us through Coffee or Patreon. And you can find those links at carryingwayward.com. Carry on our wayward friends. Sam, I think it's anxiety about what gets into his body. And I think that as soulless Sam, who doesn't feel, who can't feel, we're seeing a lot less of that. And it's like, no, I'm just going to eat what I want to eat. But it also tells us that Sam would want to eat mm -hmm. those things and that he denies that for himself as a, as a way to control uh, to to feel some sort of control. Again, if he's being purely logic and he's like, okay, I need to intake calories to create energy, like the most pure basic system. Well, I can eat this thing that I'm not going to enjoy, but will do the job. Or I can eat this thing that I will enjoy that will do the job. It may not be good for me long-term health, but I know that I'm active enough to counteract. Like you just, it, you can work it out. So yeah, even without feeling, a burger is a better option. <laughs>